0: The Devil's Inside Us, How Sexual Archetypes Reveal Our Unconscious Psyche I Want You To Rate Me, She Said I Played It As Cool As The Best I Could But In That Moment My Internal Narrative Split Responding With Equal Parts Fuck Yes And Oh No, I Would Never Do That You See, What You're Saying Is An Oxymoron We're Already Having Consensual Sex The Woman I Was In Bed With Wasn't Pathological Outside Of The Bedroom She Is Rational And Successful As A Woman But in the altered consciousness of heightened arousal, something other than her rational faculties took over, something primal and ancestral. She was taken by a normally unconscious set of characteristics that Jungian psychology would call an archetype. The part of me that was able to respond with fuck yes was my complementary masculine archetype. The part of me that spewed a bunch of rational jumble was my controlling ego, that which kept me in my head and held me back from authentic expression. Actually, the parts of us that were playing out this dark fantasy didn't even belong to her or me individually. They were part of the collective unconscious acting through us. They were characters in internal psychodrama playing out their missions. The Rape Fantasy is a hyperpolarized psychodrama. In it, a woman confronts her animus, the masculine side of her f- the female psyche, and a man confronts his anima, the feminine side of the male psyche. While there are many psychodramas that allow this, the Rape Fantasy is so potent because it's so taboo. In other words, contrary to the preferences of the ego. Much of our modern anxieties, neuroses, and dysphoria come from the disconnection of our unconscious archetypes. Integrating our archetypes is not only a path of healing, but a key to individuation, the full expression of self. The anima and animus is particularly impactful because it represents the other side within us. The harmony, or lack thereof, that we have with this part of ourselves affects us from our childhood parental relationship all the way through our adult or romantic relationships, up until we raise families of our own. Integrating the other side is critical to being an uninhibited force in the world. It is the hero's journey that our ego takes in order to return home. Why do sexual archetypes exist? First, what are archetypes? To understand the archetypes according to Jung, it may help to borrow an analogy Richard Dawkins uses to understand genes. In The Selfish Gene, Dawkins has us imagine our genome as a big binder full of pages, a book that makes up all the information on how to build the body. We get half the pages from her mother and half the pages from her father. They basically get mixed up except for certain sequences of pages, chapters, that are proven to be effective in survival till procreation. These persisting chapters are genes. Genes are not a standard unit, but a bundle of information that corresponds to a certain part of our book. Archetypes are similar, but corresponding to the human psyche. Instead of chapters, they are like character profiles, sets of thoughts, feelings, and behaviors that have been so useful to the human psyche that they have become universal. When archetype seems to be in every person's psyche, we say it's part of the collective unconscious. When dissociated, archetypes can have a mind of their own. At birth, our psyche is complete and whole. Infants don't see separation between themselves and what they experience. They don't experience internal conflict because all is one. But as the world has learned, the ego must develop in order to interface with it. Some impulses are deemed as good and others bad based on the norms of our environment. The bad ones are shoved into the dark of the unconscious. Our ego is the identity that we develop to interface with the world and captain the ship. Contrary to what spiritualists say, the ego is not evil or something to be deleted. It's as necessary a part of us as any other part. It just happens to be a newer part. And when the newer part is unkind to the older parts, bad things can happen. We can imagine a situation where a recent college grad is hired to captain a ship of old timers. The brash young captain thinks he knows how how things should be, so he disregards the suggestions from the veterans. He quarantines the ones who oppose him and locks them down below their brig. The result is a poorly functioning crew with constant conflict. Afflictions like inexplicable anxiety, self-sabotage, internal disarray, and compulsions can all be results of banishing archetypes of the dark. Even worse is when our ego steers the ship so far off course that the dark archetypes was mutiny, sabotaging our lives. The book and movie Fight Club demonstrates a psychodrama of masculine ego and archetype. The main character created a false life chasing work promotions and consumer products that completely went against his archetypal desire. So his repressed hyper-masculine archetype completely dissociated into another identity, Tyler Durden. This archetype destroyed his former life and did dangerous things to compensate for past inauthenticity. Repressed archetypes reveal themselves in high arousal. Usually, we can only see our unconscious motives when the ego is subdued. That's why Jungian psychology is so heavy on dream analysis. This is also why so many people find healing in psychoactive plant medicines. The hallucinations symbolize truths that the ego has been unable to recognize before. Another place our unconscious shows up is in sexuality. One reason for this is that arousal in itself is a mind-altering drug. Visceral bliss states are closer to dream consciousness than waking consciousness. That's why promises made up in, made in court. Made, that's why promises made during orgasm won't hold up in court. But there's another reason sex reveals the unconscious, and to understand this, we need to look again at the rape fantasy. Sexual Archetypes and the Soul Power exchange is an ancient narrative. Sexual archetypes are some of the most concrete because they are so tied to our biology. Clinical studies show that the presence of testosterone, the male sex hormone, directly correlates to behavioral impulses we consider masculine aggression, competition, assertion of will, utilitarianism, at the expense of empathy, logical or numerical orientation, penetration, literal and figurative. The same correlation is made between oxytocin and impulses we consider feminine, empathy, nurturing, social awareness, yielding of will, egalitarianism, and receptivity, again, literal or figurative. Actually, it's more accurate to call them testosterone and oxytocin traits over masculine and feminine because they exist to some degree in all of us. In order to be healthy and complete, we need both, even if one is naturally stronger than the other in us. The aspect of the masculine-feminine or testosterone-oxytocin dynamic is highlighted in the rape fantasy. That that is highlighted in the rape fantasy is that of apparent power. The male pole does; the female end receives. While women can be rapists too, the physical act is always of a phallic appendage entering a receptive vessel. I'll avoid political commentary on whether this power exchange is good or not. Power dynamics have served an important function in human cohesion, and they often and they also have causes. They also have caused much distress in humanity. But for our own personal development, it's more important to acknowledge that it, it exists and is commonly repressed. We eroticize repressed elements. The rape fantasy is taboo because it's so counterlogical. It's not like I actually want to be raped. Many women have said to me, but for some reason, it turns me on to think about. Sexual fantasies are not always desires, just like our dreams are not literal instructions of what to do in real life. If so, we all ought to go to school without our pants. Fantasies are often a mechanism of the unconscious to reveal a truth. My friend Omar Pani often says that we eroticize our pain. He explains that why many people find healing in BDSM. He explains that this is why many people find healing in BDSM. You might have repressed emotional pain as a level eight on the one to ten scale. Your ego won't let you go there consciously, but the ego can't deny physical pain, so if you reach a level of 8 of sensation, the ego can't help but let you experience all the equivalent emotions. Conversely, when an unconscious element feels it needs to be heard, it might show up as an unexpected sexual desire. The unconscious mixes visceral pleasure to make emotional pain bearable. It's a spoonful of sugar that helps the medicine go down. I once met a man whose ancestors were perpetrators in a major genocide. He was so overcome with guilt that he developed uncontrollable sexual fantasies about being tortured. I once met a woman whose father criticized her for having ugly feet, which caused self-esteem issues at a young age. For a long time, she had fantasies of men penetrating her with their toes. One of the most common customers for pro-dominatrices are alpha male CEOs. Such men's anima doesn't get to express itself in daily life, so it, gets, so it finds an extreme way to get its needs met in what we would, might call a fetish. Even common fantasies like that of teachers, secretaries, and MILFs likely point to minor repressed anguish around frustration at school, powerlessness at work, or anger at female caretakers. They aren't necessarily pathologies, they're just our unconscious's attempt to satisfy a need. For a woman who's experienced sexual trauma, the rape fantasy can seem like an obvious way to get catharsis, to intentionally replay a traumatic scene to reclaim authority. But many women who haven't experienced sexual trauma also have rape fantasies, and that way is an ancestral aspect of the female archetype. It's an eroticization of a collective psychotrama of which many women tend to carry one role and many men the other. Archetypes their, seek their reciprocal in others. Even more taboo than the desire to be raped is the desire to rape. If a man admitted that publicly, he'd be ruined. But you hear guys share that periodically in clandestine men's groups. I've seen multiple guys break down to tears from the shame that they fantasize about raping a woman on the subway. It's not that these guys actually want to violate any more than a woman actually wants to be violated. These fantasies and impulses come from the characters within us. They're part of us whether we like it or not, just like an allergy to peanuts or double-jointed thumbs. The anima animus is typically imprinted by our opposite sex parent. Regardless of gender or sexual orientation, our relationship to this part tends to recur in our sexual relationships. This is because, on some level, every emotionally significant interaction maps to a part of our psyche our repressed traits show up the loudest. Anytime I coach someone who complains about narcissists in their life, it's almost always the case that they're repressing their inner attention whore. Or rather, they've shamed the healthy part of themselves that desires attention, so now it, it's perverted into narcissism that they unconsciously satisfy in internal, external relationships. One could argue that the part of me that could say fuck yes to the play perpetrator in a rape fantasy was actually her animus acting through me, and the part that wanted to be raped was my anima acting through her. In another sense, these dark expressions of anima and animus didn't belong to either of us. They were impersonal beings using us to fulfill their roles. Often the urge to individuation appears in veiled form, hidden in our overwhelming passion and one may feel for another person. Marie-Louise von Franz Psychodramas bring our archetypes back from the dark. According to Jung and his colleagues, a man's anima forms with the traits of his mother and is molded by the women he's intimate with. I found that in my coaching practice that men within a Madonna whore complex are still stuck in a childlike relationship with their mother. They rely on mommy's emotional support over developing their own inner feminine. So it's hard for them to see a woman as both loving and sexual. To connect with the anima is one of the most fulfilling things a man can do. Psychologist Marie-Louise von Franz writes, Whenever a man's logical mind is incapable of discerning facts hidden in his unconscious, the anima helps him dig it out. The positive function occurs when a man takes seriously the feelings, moods, and expectations and fantasies sent to him by his anima, and when he fixes them in some form, for example in writing, painting, music, or dancing, putting a man's mind in tune with the right inner values and thereby opening a way to more profound inner depths. According to von Franz, when a woman connects with her animus, she accesses the testosterone-driven traits of initiative, courage, objectivity, and spiritual wisdom. A woman's animus can also mirror the traits of her father, but, as von Franz observed, in many women, the animus appears as a group of men, a collective rather than a personal element. Such women will experience her masculinity as more general traits rather than specific, specific characteristics of her father. Hence the common fantasy of many anonymous men, also known as the gangbang. Sexual fantasies aren't necessarily about sex. I've met lesbians who have zero interest in men, but still have male gangbang fantasies. Fantasies Fantasies can just be your unconscious working something out. Your unconscious may be thought you might prefer to watch something sexy over a horror flick. The woman who asked me to rape her wasn't speaking from her ego. A deeper, older character saw an opportunity to get a need met, to reclaim power in a way that felt good. She also gave me a gift. She gave me an opportunity to embody and integrate an element of my masculinity that I typically didn't accept, the part that gets off on domination and power, in a safe and consensual psychodrama. I couldn't intellectualize the virtue of male aggression, but until I had a consenting partner to play the other role, it was just stuff of my ego. In a sense, she was my anima and I was her animus, at least for those moments of ego-disabling arousal. In order to be our most powerful individuated selves, we can't leave pieces of us behind. Dark fantasies are not always comfortable to look at, nor do they always make sense. But our sexuality gives us a chance to look at our unconscious and bring our darkness back into the light. If you'd like to learn, learn more about the mask and archetype, you can go to slash archetype. Footnotes Books referenced Man and His Symbols by Carl Jung and his top students, The Selfish Gene by Richard Dawkins. The Virility Paradox by Dr. Charles Ryan The Golden Ass of Apuleius by Marie-Louise von Franz Omer Panis' book, Prerequisites to Ecstasy Final footnote, the Madonna-Whore Complex is a common cause of psychosomatic sexual dysfunction. Many men I've coached could perform fine with random women, but found they could not maintain arousal with a woman they actually loved.